Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning, and welcome to the morning segment of the Sunday, March 5th episode. That's episode 186 of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I'm Wayne Floyd, your host. Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a um, humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. Definitely worth your while. Bunch of great, great, great podcasts. More content over there that you're going to want to listen to than you're going to have time to listen to. So definitely worth your while to get over there. Uh, Great brothers and sisters in Christ putting together some wonderful content for you. So again, and it covers a broad range of topics. So definitely worth your while. Um, I would continue to point you to the very last link in the show notes. This is a link for the Vail Valley Baptist Church Give, Send, Go campaign. Uh, We are striving to rapidly pay off our mortgage so we can shift gears and commence establishment of a Christian classical education-based school to provide an alternative within our community for um, parents and grandparents um, that, that are concerned about where their kids are going to school and what they're getting taught. So we're trying to offer an alternative. Um, so what what we would so go ahead and click on the link and go take a read a little bit more thorough de- uh, description than I just gave you, and then we'd ask three things of you. We would ask you to pay to pray for us. We would ask you to um, prayerfully consider giving to us, and then we would ask you to pass the link along so others can do the same. And thank you for taking taking the time to consider that. Um, so. Again, we're going to get into um, here on a Sunday morning. I hope you're prepping to get get going to church. And again, th- sorry, this is coming out a little later because I didn't record last night. I just went ahead and took the night off. So I'm recording this morning. Um, and so I'm going to be getting ready for church. And I hope you're getting ready for church if you didn't go last night. Uh, definitely need to be worshiping with the saints. We are called to worship with the saints. And I'll make a, a blatant statement here. While sometimes it can help in, in dire circumstances, YouTube church, Zoom church, is not church. Okay. We need to be, we need to be worshiping face to face with the saints. So let's do so. All right. So we're going to be continuing on in our Bible reading as we're working our way through uh, the Bible in a year with our new plan for 2023. And we're already two months and starting in our third month since we're beginning of March and that, and then in the evening segment, we're going to be continuing on in our Thomas Watson, reading Thomas Watson's A Godly Man's Picture, The Godly Man's Picture, sorry, I re- mistyped that in my show notes, um, and it's um, a man who is good in his relationships is what we're dealing with today. So let's go ahead and get into our reading. So let's open up in prayer like we usually do, and with it being a Sunday morning, we're going to open up as standard with our first day morning prayer. It's called worship. Let's pray. O Lord, we commune with thee every day, but weekdays are worldly days, and secular concerns reduce heavenly impressions. We bless thee, therefore, for the day sacred to our souls, when we can wait upon thee and be refreshed. We thank thee for the institutions of religion, by use of which we draw near to thee and thou to us. We rejoice in another Lord's day, when we call off our minds from the cares of the world, and attend upon thee without distraction. Let our retirement be devout, our conversation edifying, our reading pious, our hearing profitable, that our souls may be quickened and elevated. We are going to the house of prayer. Pour upon us the spirit of grace and supplication. We are going to the house of praise. Awaken in us every grateful and cheerful emotion. We are going to the house of instruction. Give testimony to the word preached and glorify it in the hearts of all who hear. May it enlighten the ignorant, awaken the careless, Reclaim the wandering, establish the weak, comfort the feeble-minded, make ready a people for their Lord. Be a sanctuary to all who cannot come. Forget not those who never come, and do thou bestow upon us benevolence towards our dependents, forgiveness towards our enemies, peaceableness towards our neighbors, openness towards our fellow Christians. Amen. 
All right, in our morning devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, the text for it here for March 5th is from 1 Thessalonians 5, 6. Let us not sleep as do others. There are many ways of promoting Christian wakefulness. Among the rest, let me strongly advise Christians to converse together concerning the ways of the Lord. Christian and hopeful, as they journeyed towards the celestial city, said to themselves, To prevent drowsiness in this place, let us fall into good discourse. Christian inquired, Brother, where shall we begin? And Hopeful answered, Where God began with us. Then Christian sang this song, When saints do sleepy grow, let them come hither, and hear how these two pilgrims talk together. Yea, let them learn of them in any wise, thus to keep open their drowsy slumbering eyes. Saints' fellowship, if it be managed well, keeps them awake, and that in spite of hell. Christians who isolate themselves and walk alone are very liable to grow drowsy. Hold Christian company, and you will be kept wakeful by it, and refreshed and encouraged to make quicker progress in the road to heaven. But as you thus take sweet counsel with others in the ways of God, take care that the theme of your converse is the Lord Jesus. Let the eye of faith be constantly looking unto him. Let your heart be full of him. Let your lips speak of his worth. Friend, Live near to the cross, and thou wilt not sleep. Labor to impress thyself with a deep sense of the value of the place to which thou art going. If thou rememberest that thou art going to heaven, thou wilt not sleep on the road. If thou thinkest that hell is behind thee, and the devil pursuing thee, thou wilt not loiter. Would the manslayer sleep with the avenger of blood behind him and the city of refuge before him? Christian, wilt thou sleep whilst the pearly gates are open, the songs of angels waiting for thee to join them, a crown of gold ready for thy brow? Ah, no. In holy fellowship continue to watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. All right. It goes right along with what I was talking about, about being in church and worshiping together and walking our Christian walk together. It's definitely critical. All right, so now we're going to get into our reading for the day. We're going to be reading Numbers 4 and 5, Mark 12, verses 18 through 37. So back over part of what I read yesterday when I kind of ran nuts and didn't want to stop in Mark 12. Then Psalm 48 and Proverbs 10, 26. So let's go. Numbers 4. Hear the word of the Lord. Then Yahweh spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, Take a census of the descendants of Kohath from among the sons of Levi, by their families, by their fathers' households, from thirty years and upward, even to fifty years old, all who enter the duty of doing the work in the tent of meeting. This is the service of the sons of Kohath in the tent of meeting concerning the most holy things. And when the camp sets out, Aaron and his son shall go in, and they shall take down the veil of the screen, and cover the ark of the testimony with it. And they shall put the covering of porpoise skin on it, and shall spread over it a cloth of pure blue, and shall insert its poles. Over the table of the bread of the presence they shall also spread a cloth of blue, and put on it the dishes and the pans and the offering bowls and the jars for the drink offering, and the continual bread shall be on it. And they shall spread over them a cloth of scarlet material, and cover the same with a covering of porpoise skin, and they shall insert its poles. Then they shall take a blue cloth and cover the lampstand for the light along with its lamps and its tongs and its trays and all its oil vessels by which they minister in connection to it. And they shall put it, it and all its utensils in a covering of porpoise skin and shall put it on the carrying bars. And over the golden altar they shall spread a blue cloth and cover it with a covering of porpoise skin and shall insert its poles. And they shall take all the utensils of ministry with which they minister to the sanctuary and put them in a blue cloth and cover them with a covering of porpoise skin and put them on the carrying bars. Then they shall take away the ashes from the altar and spread a purple cloth over it. They shall also put on it all its utensils by which they minister in connection with it, the fire pans, the flesh hooks, and shovels, and the bowls, all the utensils of the altar, and they shall spread a cover of porpoise skin over it and insert its poles. When Aaron and his sons have finished covering the holy objects and all the furnishings of the sanctuary, when the camp is to set out, after that the sons of Kohath shall come to carry them, so that they will not touch the holy objects and die. These are the things in the tent of meeting which the sons of Kohath are to carry. And the assignment of Eleazar the son of Aaron the priest is the oil for the light and the fragrant incense and the continual grain offering and the anointing oil, the assignment of all the tabernacle and of all that is in it with the sanctuary and its furnishings. Then Yahweh spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, 
Do not let the tribe of the families of the Kohathites be cut off from among the Levites, but do this to them that they may live and not die when they approach the most holy objects. Aaron and his son shall go in and set each of them to his service and to his load, but they shall not go in to see the holy objects even for a moment or they will die. Then Yahweh spoke to Moses saying, Take a census of the sons of Gershon also, by their fathers' households, by their families, from thirty years and upward to fifty years old. You shall number them all who enter to perform the duty of performing the service in the tent of meeting. This is the service of the families of the Gershonites in serving and in caring. They shall carry the curtains of the tabernacle and the tent of meeting, with its covering, and the covering of porpoise skin that is on top of it, and the screen for the doorway of the tent of meeting, and the hangings of the court, and the screen for the doorway of the gate of the court, which is around the tabernacle, and the altar, and their cords, and all the equipment for their service, and all that is to be done they shall perform. All the service of the sons of the Gershonites, in all their loads, and in all their service, shall be performed at the command of Aaron and his sons, and you shall assign to them as a responsibility all their loads. This is the service of the family of the sons of Gershon of the Gershonites in the tent of meeting, and their responsibilities shall be under the direction of Ithamar the son of Aaron the priest. As for the sons of Merari, you shall number them by their families, by their fathers' households, from thirty years and upward, even to fifty years old, you shall number them, every one who enters the duty of performing the service of the tent of meeting. Now this is the responsibility of their loads, for all their service in the tent of meeting the boards of the tabernacle and its bars and its pillars and its bases and the pillars around the court and their bases and their pegs and their cords with all their equipment and with all their service and you shall assign each man by name the items of the responsibility of his load this is the service of the families of the sons of merari according to all their service in the tent of meeting under the direction of ithamar the son of aaron the priest so Moses and Aaron and the leaders of the congregation numbered the sons of the Kohathites by their families and by their father's household, households from thirty years and upward even to fifty years old, fifty years old. Every one who entered the duty of service in the tent of meeting, their numbered men by their families were two thousand seven hundred and fifty. These are the numbered men of the Kohathite family, families. Every one who was serving in the tent of meeting, whom Moses and Aaron numbered according to the commandment of Yahweh, by the hand of Moses. The numbered men of the sons of Gershon by their families and by their fathers' households. From thirty years old and upward even to fifty years old, everyone who entered the duty of service in the tent of meeting, their numbered men by their families by their fathers' households were two thousand six hundred and thirty. These are the numbered men of the families of the sons of Gershon, everyone who was serving in the tent of meeting, whom Moses and Aaron numbered according to the commandments, commandment of Yahweh. The numbered men of the families of the sons of Merari, by their families, by their fathers' households, from thirty years and upward even to fifty years old, every one who entered the duty of service in the tent of meeting. Their numbered men by their families were three thousand two hundred. These are the numbered men of the families of the sons of Merari, whom Moses and Aaron numbered according to the commandment of Yahweh by the hand of Moses. All the numbered men of the Levites, whom Moses and Aaron and the leaders of Israel numbered, by their families and by their fathers' households, from thirty years and upward even to fifty years old, every one who could enter to perform the work of service and the service of carrying in the tent of meeting. Their numbered men were eight thousand five hundred and eighty. According to the word of Yahweh, by the hand of Moses, they were numbered, every one by his service or carrying, thus these were his numbered men, just as Yahweh had commanded Moses. Numbers 5. Then Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Command the sons of Israel, that they send away from the camp every leper and every one having a discharge, and every one who is unclean because of a dead person. You shall send away, excuse me, both male and female. You shall send them outside the camp, so that they will not defile their camp where I dwell in their midst. And the sons of Israel did so, and sent them outside the camp, just as Yahweh had spoken to Moses. Thus the sons of Israel did. Then Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel. When a man or woman commits any of the sins of mankind, acting unfaithfully against Yahweh, and that person is guilty, then he shall confess his sins which he has committed, and he shall make restitution in full for his wrong, and add to it one-fifth of it, and give it to him whom he has wronged. 
But if a man has no kinsman redeemer to whom restitution may be made for the wrong, the restitution which is made for the wrong must go to Yahweh for the priest, besides the ram of atonement by which atonement is made for him. Also every contribution pertaining to all the holy gifts of the sons of Israel, which they bring near to the priest, shall be his. So every man's holy gift, gifts shall be his. Whatever any man gives to the priest, it becomes his. Then Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, and say to them, If any man's wife goes astray, and is unfaithful to him, and a man lies sexually with her, and it is hidden from the eyes of her husband, and she is undetected, but she has defiled herself, and there is no witness against her, and she has not been caught in the act, if a spirit of jealousy comes over him, and he is jealous of his wife, and she has defiled herself, or if a spirit of jealousy comes over him, and he is jealous of his wife, but she has not defiled herself, the man shall then bring his wife to the priest, and shall bring as an offering for her one-tenth of an ephah of barley meal. He shall not pour oil on it, nor put frankincense on it, for it is a grain offering of jealousy, a grain offering of remembrance, a reminder of iniquity. Then the priest shall take holy water in an earthenware vessel, and the priest shall take some of the dust that is on the floor of the tabernacle, and put it into the water. The priest shall then have the woman stand before Yahweh, and let the hair of the woman's head go loose, and he shall place the grain offering of remembrance in her hand, which is the grain offering of jealousy. And in the hand of the priest is to be the water of bitterness that brings curses. Then the priest shall have her swear an oath, and shall say to the woman, If no man has lain with you, and if you have not gone astray into defilement, being under the authority of your husband, be free from this water of bitterness that brings curses. If you, however, have gone astray, being under the authority of your husband, and if you have defiled yourself, and a man other than your husband has lain with you, then the priest shall have the woman swear with the oath of the curse. And the priest shall say to the woman, Yahweh make you a curse and an oath among your people, by Yahweh making your thigh fall away, and your abdomen swell. And this water that brings curses shall go into your stomach, and make your abdomen swell, and your thigh fall away. And the woman shall say, Amen, Amen. The priest shall then write these curses on a scroll, and he shall wash them off into the water of bitterness. Then he shall make the woman drink the water of bitterness that brings curses, so that the water which brings a curse will go into her to cause bitterness. And the priest shall take the grain offering of jealousy from the woman's hand, and he shall wave the grain offering before Yahweh, and bring it near, the altar, near to the altar. And the priest shall take a handful of the grain offering as its memorial offering, and offer it up in smoke on the altar word. Altar, and afterward he shall make the woman drink the water. So he will have her drink the water, and it will be that, if she has defiled herself and has been unfaithful to her husband, that the water which brings curses will go into her to cause bitterness, and her abdomen will swell, and her thigh will fall away, and the woman will become a curse among her people. But if the woman has not defiled herself and is clean, she will then be free and conceive a seed. This is the law of jealousy. When a wife, being under the authority of her husband, goes astray and defiles herself, or when a spirit of jealousy comes over a man, and he is jealous of his wife, he shall then make the woman stand before Yahweh, and the priest shall apply all this law to her. Moreover, the man will be free from guilt, but that woman shall bear her guilt. Mark 12, um, let's see, 18 through 37. So back over some, some of the stuff I read yesterday. Then some Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to Jesus and began questioning him, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves behind a wife and leaves no child, his brother should marry the wife and raise up a seed for his brother. There were seven brothers, and the first married a wife and died leaving no seed, and the second one married her and died leaving behind no seed, and the third likewise, and so all seven left no seed. Last of all, the woman died also. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For all seven had married her. Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason you are mistaken, that you do not understand the scriptures nor the power of God? For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. But regarding the fact that the dead are raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the burning bush, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are greatly mistaken. And when one of the scribes came and heard them arguing, he recognized that he had answered them well, and asked him, What commandment is the foremost of all? 
Jesus answered, The foremost is here, O Israel, the Lord our, is our, the Lord our God is one Lord. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, Teacher, you have truly stated that he is one, and there is no one else besides him. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbors as himself, is much more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he had answered thoughtfully, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. After that, no one would dare to ask him any more questions. And Jesus began to say, as he taught in the temple, How is it that the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself said to, in the Holy Spirit, The Lord says, said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies beneath your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So in what sense is he his son? And the large crowd enjoyed listening to him. All right. Psalm 48. A song, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Great is Yahweh, and greatly to be praised, in the city of our God, his holy mountain. Beautiful in elevation, the joy of the whole earth, is Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. God in her palaces has made himself known as a stronghold. For behold, the kings assembled themselves. They passed by together. They saw it, then they were astonished. They were dismayed, they fled in alarm. Panic seized them there, anguish as of a woman in childbirth. With the, with the east wind you break the ships of Tarshish. As we have heard, so have we seen. In the city of Yahweh of hosts, in the city of our God, God will establish her forever. Selah. We have thought on your loving kindness, O God, in the midst of your temple, as is your name, O God, so is your praise to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is full of righteousness. Let Mount Zion be glad. Let the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments. Walk about Zion and go around her. Count her towers, consider her ramparts, go through her palaces that you may recount it to the next generation. For this is God, our God forever and ever. He will guide us over death. And finally, Proverbs 10, verse 26. There it is. Like vinegar to the teeth and like smoke to the eyes, so is the sluggard to those who send him. All right. Well, that is our reading for the, this morning. Uh, again, I thank you for spending this time with me. I, I pray that this time um, with of us together and working our way through the scriptures is edifying for you. I hope you have a wonderful day and that you go and do all that you do for the glory of God, especially on this day, but all days. And uh, I hope to see you this evening. Let's go ahead and close out in prayer. And as we usually do on Sunday mornings, we're going to close out with the Lord's Day morning prayer from Valley of Vision. Let's pray. O maker and upholder of all things, day and night are thine. They are also mine from thee. The night to rid me of the cares of the day, to refresh my weary body, to renew my natural strength, the day to summon me to new activities, to give me opportunity to glorify thee, to serve my generation, to acquire knowledge, holiness, eternal life. But one day above all days is made especially for thy honor, honor and my improvement. The Sabbath reminds me of thy rest from creation, of the resurrection of my Savior, of his entering into repose. Thy house is mine, but I am unworthy to meet thee there, and am unfit for spiritual service. When I enter it, I come before thee as a sinner, condemned by conscience and thy word. For I am still in the body and in the wilderness, ignorant, weak, in danger, and in need of thine aid, but encouraged by thy all-sufficient grace. Let me go to the house with a let me go to thy house with a lively hope of meeting thee, knowing that there thou wilt come to me and give me peace. My soul is drawn out to thee in longing desires, for thy presence in the sanctuary, at the table, where all are entertained on a feast of good things. Let me, before the broken elements, emblems of thy dying love, cry to thee with broken heart for grace and forgiveness. I long for that blissful communion of thy people, in thy eternal house, in the perfect kingdom. These are they that follow the Lamb. May I be of their company. Amen. All right, again, have a wonderful day, and I hope to see you this evening. Have a good one. God bless.
Welcome to the evening segment of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Good morning and welcome to the evening segment of the Sunday, March 5th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host. The Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. Again, as I always say, it's definitely worth your while. There's more content over there that you're going to want to listen to than you're going to have time, but it's definitely worth your while. Great brothers and sisters in Christ putting together wonderful content um, covering broad, broad, broad range of topics and areas. So definitely worth your while. Uh, You will not go wrong and it will not be a waste of your time to go check that out and set up some some or a great number of, of podcasts to listen to. Um, some are daily, some are weekly, some maybe even monthly, but they're definitely worth your while. So again, I would encourage you to go ahead and be over there um, and, and spend some time. Um, so we're going to continue this evening in our evening segment reading and Thomas Watson's The Godly Man's Picture. And what we are dealing with today in the section about showing the characteristics of a godly man is a man who is good in his relationships. That would be a godly man. And remember, as I've said repeatedly, this isn't just about men. Um, that, that's how Thomas Watson wrote this. But this is really about the godly person, a godly person's picture. Um, I'm not trying to rewrite Thomas Watson, but a godly person's picture and the characteristic of a godly person is one who is good in his relationships. So that's what we're going to deal with today. So let's go ahead and open up this evening so we can get into our reading of Thomas Watson, um, like we usually do with the first day evening prayer. It's called the teacher. Let's pray. Oh God, we bless thee, our creator, preserver, benefactor, teacher, for opening to us the volume of nature, where we may read and consider thy works. Thou hast this day spread before us the fuller pages of revelation, and in them we see what thou wouldst have us do, what thou requirest of us, what thou hast done for us, what thou hast promised to us, what thou hast given us in Jesus. We pray thee for a conscious experience of his salvation, and our deliverance from sin, and our bearing his image, and our enjoying his presence, and our being upheld by his free spirit. Let us not live uncertain of what we are, or of where we are going. Bear witness with our spirit that we are thy children, and enable each one to say, I know my Redeemer. Bless us with a growing sense of this salvation. If already enlightened in Christ, may we see greater things. If quickened, may we have more abundant life. If renewed, let us go on from strength to strength. Give us closer abiding in Jesus, that we may bring forth more fruit, have a deeper sense of our obligations to him, that we may surrender all, have a fuller joy, that we may serve him more completely. And may our faith work by love towards him who died, towards our fellow believers, towards our fellow men. Amen. All right. And our evening devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening for March 5th. Uh, the text for it comes from Psalm 35, 3. Say unto my soul, I am thy salvation. What does this sweet prayer teach me? It shall be my evening's petition, but first let it yield me an instructive meditation. The text informs me first of all that David had his doubts, for why should he pray, Say unto my soul, I am thy salvation, if he were not sometimes exercised with doubts and fears. Let me then be of good cheer, for I am not the only saint who has to complain of weakness of faith. If David doubted, I'm sorry, yeah, if David doubted, I need not conclude that I am no Christian because I have doubts. The text reminds me that David was not content while he had doubts and fears, but he repaired at once to the mercy seat to pray for assurance, for he valued it as much fine gold. I too must labor labor after an abiding sense of my acceptance in the beloved, and must have no joy when his love is not shed abroad in my soul. When my bridegroom is gone from me, my soul must and will fast. I learn also that David knew where to obtain full assurance. He went to his God in prayer, crying, Say unto my soul, I am thy salvation. I must be much alone with God if I would have a clear sense of Jesus' love. Let my prayer cease and my eye of faith will grow dim. Much in prayer, much in heaven. Slow in prayer, slow in progress. I noticed that David would not be satisfied unless his assurance had a divine source. Say unto my soul, Lord, do thou say it? Nothing short of a divine testimony in the soul will ever content the true Christian. 
Moreover, David could not rest unless his assurance had a vivid personality about it. Say unto my soul, I am thy salvation. Lord, if thou shouldst say this to all the saints, it were nothing unless thou shouldst say it to me. Lord, I have sinned. I deserve not thy smile. I scarcely dare to ask it. But, oh, say to my soul, even to my soul, I am thy salvation. Let me have a present, personal, infallible, indisputable sense that I am thine and that thou art mine. All right. So, like I said, we're continuing in our reading of Thomas Watson's The Godly Man's Picture. And we're going to be continuing today in the section... Excuse me. Where the section is that the godly man is a man that is good in his relationships. And like I said, it's a, a godly person is a person who is good in their relationships. So let's read section 20. A godly man is good in his relationships to be good in general is not enough. Rather, we must show piety in our relationships. Number one, the one who is a good magistrate is godly. The magistrate is God's representative. A godly magistrate holds the balance of justice and gives everyone his right. You shall not respect persons nor take a gift, for a gift binds the, blinds the eyes. Deuteronomy 16.19 A magistrate must judge the cause, not the person. The one who allows himself to be corrupted by bribes is not a judge, but a party. A magistrate must do that which is according to the law. Acts 23.3 and that he may do justice, he must examine the cause. The archer who wishes to shoot right must first see the mark. Number two, the one who is a good minister is godly. Ministers must be, number one, painstaking. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Second Timothy 4.2 The minister must not be idle. Sloth is, an inexcusable, is as inexcusable in a minister as sleep in a sentry. John the Baptist was a voice crying, Matthew 3.3. 3. A silent minister is of no more use than a dead physician. A man of God must work in the Lord's vineyard. It was Augustine's wish that Christ m might find him at his coming, either praying or preaching. Number two, knowledgeable. So this is the, the minister must be knowledgeable. For the priest's lips should preserve knowledge and men should seek the law from his mouth, Malachi 2.7. It was said in father in honor of Gregory Nazianzen that he was an ocean of divinity. The prophets of old, sorry, the prophets of old were called seers. First Samuel nine nine. It is absurd, absurd to have seers be blind. Christ said to Peter, "Feed my sheep." John twenty one sixteen. But how sad it is when the shepherds need to be fed. Ignorance in a minister is like blindness in an eye doctor. Under the law, the one who had the plague in his head was unclean, Leviticus 13.44. Number three, plain preaching. He must suit his matter and style to the capacity of his audience, 1 Corinthians 14.19. Some ministers, like eagles, love to soar aloft in abstruse metaphysical notions, thinking they are most admired when they are least understood. Those who preach in the clouds, instead of hitting their people's conscience, shoot over their heads. Number four, zealous in reproving sin. Rebuke them sharply, Titus 1.13. Epiphanius said of Elijah that he sucked fire out of his mother's breast. A man of God must suck the fire of zeal out of the breasts of Scripture. Zeal in a minister is as proper as fire on the altar. Some are afraid to reprove, like the swordfish which has a sword in his head but is without a heart. So they carry the sword of the Spirit with them, but they have no heart to draw it out in reproof against sin. How many have sown pillows under their people, Ezekiel thirteen eighteen, making them sleep so securely that they never woke till they were in hell. Number five, holy in heart and life. A, in heart, how sad it is for a minister to preach to others what he never felt in his own soul, to exhort others to holiness and be a stranger to it himself. Oh, that it were not this way too often. How many blow the Lord's trumpet with a foul breath? B. In life, under the law, before the priests served at the altar, they washed in the laver. Those who serve in the Lord's house must first be washed from gross sin in the laver of repentance. The life of a minister should be a walking Bible. 
Basil said of Gregory Nazianzen that he thundered in his doctrine and lightened in his conduct. A minister must imitate John the Baptist, who was not only a voice crying, but a light shining, John 5.35. Those who live in contradiction to what they preach disgrace this excellent calling. They turn their codices into calluses, their books into cups. Though they are angels by office, yet they are devils in their lives, Jeremiah 23.14. Number three, the one who is a good husband is godly. He fills up that relationship with love. Husbands, love your wives, Ephesians 5.25. The vine twisting its branches around the elm and embracing it may be an emblem of that entire love, which should be in the marital relationship. A married condition will be said if it has only cares to embitter it and not love to sweeten it. Love is the best diamond in the marriage ring. Isaac loved Rebekah, Genesis 24.67. Unkindness in this close relationship makes it very unhappy. We read in heathen authors that Clytemnestra, the wife of Agamemnon, in order to revenge an injury received from her husband, first tore the veil of her chastity, and afterwards consented to his death. The husband should show his love to his wife by covering her infirmities, by avoiding occasions for strife, by sweet endearing expressions, by pious counsel, by love tokens, by encouraging what he sees amiable and virtuous in her, by mutual prayer, by being with her unless detained by urgent business. The pilot that leaves his ship and abandons it to the merciless waves declares that he does not value it or think there is any treasure in it. The apostle gives a good reason why there should be mutual love between husband and wife, so that your prayers may not be hindered, 1 Peter 3.7. Where anger prevails, prayer is either intermittent or interrupted. Number four, the one who is a good father is godly. A father must drip, number one, a father must drip holy instructions into his children. Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, Ephesians 6, 4. This is what Abraham did. I know Abraham that he will command his children and his household, and they shall keep the way of the Lord, Genesis eighteen nineteen. Children are young plants which must be watered with good education, so that they may, with Obadiah, fear the Lord from their youth up. 1 Kings 18.12 Plato says, In vain he expects a harvest who has been negligent in sowing. Nor can a parent expect to reap any good from a child where he has not sown the seed of wholesome instruction. And if the child should die in sin, notwithstanding all counsel and admonition, it is still a comfort to a godly parent to think that before his child died, he gave it spiritual medicine. A parent must pray for his children. Monica, the mother of Augustine, prayed for his conversion. Someone said it was impossible that a son of so many prayers and tears should perish. The soul of your child is in a snare, and will you not pray that it may be recovered? Out of the snare of the devil, Second Timothy 2.29 Many parents are careful to lay up portions for their children, but they do not lay up prayers for them. Number three, a parent must give his children discipline. Do not withstand correction from a child, for if you beat him with the rod, he will not die. The rod beats out the dust and the moth of sin. A child indulged and humored is wicked. in wickedness will prove a burden instead of a blessing. David indulged Adonijah. His father had not rebuked him at any time, saying, Why have you done so? 1 Kings 1, 6. And afterward he, afterward he grieved his father's heart and would have put him off his throne. Correction is a hedge of thorns to stop children in their headlong race to hell. Number five, the one who is a good master is godly. A godly man promotes true religion in his family. He sets up piety in his house as well as in his heart. I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. Psalm 101, 2. I in my household will... I'm sorry, I and my household will serve the Lord, Joshua 24, 15. I find it written in honor of Cramner, I'm sorry, wow, I find it written in honor of Cranmer that his family was a nursery of piety. A godly man's house is a little church, the church which is in his house, Colossians 4, 15. Number one, a good man makes known the oracles of God to those who are under his roof. He reads the word and perfumes his house with prayer. It is recorded of the Jews that they had sacrifices in their family as well as in the tabernacle. Exodus 2, 3. I'm sorry, Exodus 12, 3.
Number two, a godly man provides necessities. He relieves his servants in health and sickness. He is not like that Amalekite who abandoned his servant when he was sick. 1 Samuel 30.13 Rather, he is like the good centurion who sought Christ for healing his sick servant. Matthew 8.5 Number three, a godly... uh, Sorry, Matthew 8.5F Number three, a godly man sets his servant a good example. He is sober and heavenly in his conduct. His virtuous life is a fair mirror for the servants of the family to dress themselves by. Number six, the one who is a good, uh, sorry, the one who is good in the relationship of a child is godly. He honors his parents. Philo the Jew placed the fifth commandment in the first tablet as if children had not performed their whole devotion to God until they had given honor to their parents. This honoring of parents consists in two things. Number one, in revering them. This reverence is shown both by humility of speech and gesture. The opposite of this is when a child behaves itself in an unseemly and proud manner. Among the Lacedaemonians, if a child behaved imperiously towards its parents, it was lawful to the father to appoint whomever he wanted to be his heir and to disinherit that child. Number two, in obeying their commands. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Ephesians 6.1 Duty is the interest money which children pay their parents on the principle they received from them. Christ has set all children a pattern of obedience to their parents. He was subject to them. Luke 2.51 The Rechabites were imminent for this. I set before the Rechabites bowls full of wine and said to them, Drink wine. But they said, We will drink no wine. For Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, commanded us, saying, <clears throat> you shall you shall drink no wine, neither you nor your sons forever. Jeremiah 35, 5 and 6. Excuse me for a sec. Someone asked Solon why, <clears throat> among the many laws he made, none was made against disobedient children. He answered that it was because he thought none would be so wicked. God has punished children who have refused to pay the tribute of obedience. Absalom, a disobedient son, was hanged in an oak between heaven and earth, as being worthy of neither. Manlius, Manlius, an old man, being reduced to great poverty and having a rich son, entreated him only for charity, but could not obtain it. The son disowned his father, using reproachful language. The poor old man let tears fall as witnesses of his grief and went away. To revenge the son's obedience, God soon after struck him with madness. The one in whose heart godliness lives is is as conscientious of the fifth commandment as the first seven. The one, I'm sorry, uh, as the first. Number seven, the one who is good as a servant is godly. Servants, be subject to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling. Colossians 3.22 and Ephesians 6.5. The goodness of servants lies in these. Number one, diligence. Abraham's servant quickly dispatched the business his master entrusted him with. Genesis 24:33. Number two, cheerfulness. Servants must be free willers, as with the centurion servants. If I say to one, go, he goes. Luke 7, 8. Number three, faithfulness, which consists in two things. A, and not defrauding, nor not pilfering. Titus 2:10 and b in keeping confidences it argues for a bad stomach when it cannot retain what is put into it and for a bad servant when he cannot retain those secrets which his master has committed to him number four submissiveness not answering back it is better to mend a fault than to mince it and what may motivate a servant in his work is that encouraging scripture knowing that from the lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance inheritance for you serve the lord christ colossians 3:24 if christ were to ask you to do a piece of work for him would you not do it while you serve your master you serve the lord christ if you ask what salary you will have you will receive the reward of, reward of the inheritance use 1 is it the grand sign of a godly man to be holy in his relationships then may the lord be merciful to us for how few godly ones are to be found many put on the coat of profession They will pray and discourse about points of religion. But what does this bleeding of the sheep mean? 1 Samuel 15, 14. It means they are not good in their relationships. 
How bad it sounds when Christians are defective in the piety of their relationships. Can we call a bad magistrate godly? He perverts equity. Do you judge uprightly? O you sons of men, you weigh out the violence of your hands in the earth. Psalm 58, 1 and 2. Can we call a bad parent godly? He never teaches his child the way to heaven. He is like the ostrich which is cruel to her young. Job 39.16 Can we call a bad master godly? Many masters leave their religion at church, as the clerk leaves his book. They have nothing of God at home. Their houses are not Bethels, but Bethavens. Not little temples, but little hells. How many masters at the last day must plead guilty at the bar? Though they have fed their servants' bellies, they have starved their souls. Can we call a bad child godly? He shuts his ear to his parents' counsel. You may as well call someone who is disloyal a good subject. Can we call a bad servant godly? He is slothful and willful. He is more ready to spy a fault in another than to correct it in himself. To call himself godly who is bad in his relationships is a contradiction. It is to call evil good, Isaiah 5.20. Used to. Because we desire to have God approve of us, let us show godliness in our relationships. Not to be good in our relationships spoils all our other good things. Naaman was an honorable man, but he was a leper, 1 Kings 5.1. That but spoiled everything. So is such a person that is a great hearer, but neglects his relational duties. This stains the beauty of all his other actions. As in printing, however, however well the letter is carved, if it is not set in the right place, it spoils the sense. So too, however, many commendable things a man may have in him, if he is not good in his right place, being conscientious of how he walks in his relationships, he does harm to religion. There are many to whom Christ will say at last, as he said to the young man, There is still one thing you lack. Luke 18.22 You have misbehaved in your relational capacity. Therefore, just as we cherish our salvation and the honor of true religion, let us shine in that orb of relationships where God has placed us. All right. Well, that is our reading in Thomas Watson's The Godly Man's Picture. Like I said, it's the godly person's picture. Um, and I know there was part of that where it was talking like um, the godly man is, is, is a minister. Um, yeah. Don't, don't assume that's just your pastor. Okay. We are all called to be ministers. We are all called to serve. We are all called to bring the gospel to all the nations, Matthew 28, 19 and 20 and make disciples of all nations. So it applies to all of us that we need to be willing to bring his word in season and out of season as second Timothy four says, that's gotta be us. We've got to be willing to do that. And bring that, and we've got to have that relationship. We've got it. We've got to manifest that godly relationship, as this spoke of. All right. Well, tomorrow we'll be dealing with God willing. We'll be dealing with section twenty-one with the twenty-first attribute. A godly man does spiritual things in a spiritual manner. So, well, thank you for spending this time with me this evening. I hope that uh, I hope that it has been beneficial to you. That it has edified you. Um, and again, I thank you for spending it with me. Um, it. it definitely been so edifying to me to read through this, even reading it out loud, um, which I don't normally do with books. Obviously, most of us don't when we're trying to read personally, but it's actually been very, 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 very helpful for me. It's very much edified me to work our way through this. Um, again, we're, we're the plan right now is to finish this book out, and then we're going to go back to our Bible study and John 6. Um, I've already been working up and preparing the notes, so we, we, we've got a good bit of that. We're going to work through John 6, and we'll see where we go. Um, the, the purpose is to try to get through the whole Gospel of John. We definitely need to do that in our Bible study. Um, but we may take breaks somewhere in there and intersperse. I'll try to be at, at a better place of taking breaks than I did this time, but I just really needed the break um, to work back and forth. Um, between the two, because I, I don't want to just drop out in the middle in the middle of a segment like I had to do this time. But anyways, just to let you know where we're heading. So um, it probably will not be this coming week. I think it'll be the near the middle to the end of the following week, God willing, where we'll shift back. We will have finished this book and we'll shift back into our Bible study in the Gospel of John. Um, so definitely looking forward to this, but definitely enjoying what we're doing here. 
All right, with all of that said, let's go ahead and let's close out in prayer like we usually do on Sunday evenings with the Lord's Day evening prayer. Let's pray. Most holy God, may the close of an earthly Sabbath remind me that the last of them will one day end. End. Animate me with joy that in heaven praise will never cease, that adoration will continue forever, that no flesh will grow weary, no congregations disperse, no affections flag, no thoughts wander, no will droop, but all will be adoring love. Guard my mind from making ordinances, my stay or trust, from hewing out broken cisterns, from resting on outward helps. Wing me through earthly forms to thy immediate presence. May my feeble prayers show me the emptiness and vanity of my sins. Deepen in me the conviction that my most fervent prayers and most lowly confessions need to be repented of. May my best services bring me nearer to the cross and prompt me to cry, None but Jesus. By thy Spirit give abiding love to the lessons of this day. May the seed sown take deep root and yield a full harvest. Let all who see me take knowledge that I have been with thee that thou hast taught me my need as a sinner, hast revealed a finished salvation to me, hast enriched me with all spiritual blessings, hast chosen me to show forth Jesus to others, hast helped me to dispel the mists of unbelief. O great Creator, mighty Protector, gracious Preserver, thou dost load me with loving kindness, and hast made me thy purchased possession, and redeemed me from all guilt. I praise and bless thee for my Sabbath rest, my calm conscience, my peace of heart. Amen. All right. Well, again, that is our that is our section for this evening. And I want to send out and thank, I, you know, as, as I've moved over to Christian Podcast Community, um, the, the numbers of listeners has grown a great deal. And I'm very, very grateful for them. And I've got what it's showing. And, and if the, the stats I'm seeing are accurate, it's showing listeners from all over the world. Um, and I'm so blessed by them, but then listeners from all over the United States, which is really, really nice. It's definitely spread a great deal from what it was prior to that. And I'm very, very grateful for all of you for spending this time with me. All right. So I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful evening and God willing, I will see you in the morning. Have a good night. God bless. 